Good evening, everyone. How are you all doing? We have one. Do I hear two? All right. Thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to be continuing our study of Ecclesiastes. And uh, before we launch into that tonight, let's just take a moment and pray before the Lord and ask his blessings. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you tonight and we just thank you that we can gather this evening. We thank you for the beautiful day that you gave us today. Just a reminder, Father, of your good gifts and that every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. You are faithful, God, and we thank you. Lord, this is a privilege to come and to pray together tonight and to lift up our concerns and our requests to you. Thank you for hearing us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, tonight we come seeking your wisdom and we desire to have open eyes and ears and hearts to, uh, to think on your word and to receive it. So, Father, give us insight tonight and may your spirit apply the things that we learn. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to be continuing our study of Ecclesiastes. And this is not going to be my normal pattern at least I hope not anyway. But I want to go back and look at two verses that we looked at last week because I want to expand on them just a little bit more and I think maybe try to provide some more clarity, some more definition to a couple of the things that we looked at last week. So uh, yeah, if I do this every week, we'll be in Ecclesiastes forever. Um, but I do want to do this tonight. I want to go back and look at verses two and three again with you tonight, because I really think they're key to understanding the whole book. And so I've called this Puzzles and Prophets from Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 and 3. Now, last week, we looked at verse 2, which in the NIV says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And we noted last week that this key term, in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, Hevel is translated differently in the translations. And so here in the NIV, we have the concept of meaningless. The New American Standard Bible, along with uh, a lot of the older translations, has vanity, vanity of vanities. Um, the CSB, the, the Christian Standard Bible, has futility, absolute futility, says the teacher. And uh, this is the uh, common English Bible. It's a little bit of a newer Bible, but they say perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Pointless. And so we talked, talked about this a little bit last week, but what does this word mean? You can see it in the different translations, the way that they approach this word. And it, it's a very interesting word. So you have the concept of meaninglessness, futility, vanity or emptiness. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, so the word is hevel, and it's it's um, spelled with a B in English, but it's pronounced with a V sound, hevel. And uh, the reason why this is so important is because it really is the theme word for the whole book of Ecclesiastes. I think this word is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes. If you were to open up a, a concordance and look at where this word is found in the Old Testament. The vast majority of them are in Ecclesiastes. 
It is found in other places, Deuteronomy. It's, it's found in the prophets. But it is the theme word of Ecclesiastes. And he uses it over and over again. And it, and it almost seems to form uh, a, a part of his structural pattern in walking through the book and some of the different issues that he looks at. So it's an incredibly important word in Ecclesiastes. And so does it mean vanity or meaningless or futility? Uh, in doing some reading on this word this week, uh, I've been uh, more inclined to think that the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing something specific with this word. Uh, in general, the word has the idea of vapor or breath or that which is um, empty, fleeting. But I, I think he's doing something very unique and purposeful in Ecclesiastes. And one of the ways that we can kind of narrow down on what he's doing with this word in Ecclesiastes is to look at the different scenarios that he describes as heaven. So he'll, he'll look at different scenarios. So one example comes from chapter three, where he sees injustice going on where there should be justice. So maybe a court of law uh, where you would hope that in the place that is supposed to be defined, characterized by fairness and justice and law. But he said, I've seen situations where that doesn't happen. In the place where there's supposed to be justice, you have injustice, you have wickedness, evil in the place of justice. And he says, this is Hevel. What's, what's going on here? So there's several different scenarios in which he applies this term to those scenarios. And so we, we kind of look at all of those and kind of come to an understanding of what he's trying to do with this word. Another thing that helps us narrow down on the meaning of this word, the way that the writer of Ecclesiastes is using it, is to look at some other key phrases and expressions that he uses alongside of this word, Hevel. And, and the third thing is uh, to note that in Ecclesiastes, when he does use this term Hevel, vanity or meaninglessness or, or futility, that a lot of times he counters it, he counterbalances it with statements of God's good gifts that he has given to us. So you can tell by that, that what he means with this word is not a complete abandonment of all hope and meaning in this life, which is why I'm not particularly fond of the translation meaningless, because that, that connotes the idea of there, there's absolutely nothing to be found in this world. It is completely empty. And that, that doesn't seem to be what he's doing with that word, especially when you see it counterbalanced by God giving us good gifts to enjoy in this world. So I think he's doing something a little bit more positive with this word than just saying everything is pointless, meaningless. So we look at these three areas and we can get an idea of what this word means. And, and the different scenarios, like the one I described a minute ago about injustice in the place of justice, several different scenarios, they don't really fit 
the meaning of either meaningless, futile, or vanity. They don't really seem to, to capture, those words don't really seem to capture what he's doing in those different scenarios. Also, these accompanying phrases like chasing the wind, or another way of understanding that is shepherding the wind. Uh, one of the commentaries I read suggested this based on the root word, shepherding the wind. And you can kind of picture the, the craziness of trying to do that, right? So whether you have shepherds or sheepdogs and you're trying to corral and, and control sheep, but you're trying to do this with the wind, well, you're not going to be able to do that. It's not something you can control. So this phrase, chasing the wind, is oftentimes accompanied uh, with hevel. Same thing with a sore affliction or an unhappy business. These are phrases that recur several times in Ecclesiastes. And hevel, in combination with these other phrases, don't seem to support meaningless or futility or vanity. Um, And then we have, again, the repeated calls to enjoy God's good gifts. These repeated calls provide key structural clues about what the argument of Ecclesiastes is. And they seem to rule out the meanings of meaningless futility and vanity. Because if there are good things to be enjoyed in this world, then it's not completely meaningless. It's not completely empty. So what is he doing with this word then? I found the proposal of Graham Ogden and his commentary really, really helpful and instructive. And here's what he says. He says, Hevel in Kohelet, in Ecclesiastes, has a distinctive function and meaning. It conveys the notion that life is enigmatic and mysterious. That's why I use the word puzzle at the beginning. So a puzzle is not necessarily meaningless or pointless, right? It's just something that you're not quite able to figure out or, or put together. So he says this word, the way the writer of Ecclesiastes is using it, conveys the idea of that life is enigmatic and mysterious and that there are many unanswered and unanswerable questions. Let's just take the one that we looked at a minute ago about injustice in the place of justice. Here you have in the court of law where you should see righteousness and justice, you have the opposite happening. It's almost ironic, right? It's, it's on its head. And that's what he looks at and he says, I don't understand this. This is puzzling. This is mysterious. I, I don't see how this fits together in a world that is ruled by a just and righteous God. How does this work? So it's, it's enigmatic, it's a mystery. But the person of faith recognizes this fact, but moves forward positively to claim and enjoy the life and the work which God apportions. So in other words, I think a, a really pessimistic reading of Ecclesiastes is the wrong reading of it. The writer of Ecclesiastes is not giving up hope on everything. He's, he's not saying that everything is meaningless and pointless and completely empty. He's saying that a lot of these things are hard to grasp. They're hard to understand. They're hard to figure out in light of what he knows from God's word in other places about God being righteous and just. And so he, he recognizes this mystery 
this, this puzzling aspect to life, but he doesn't then take that and then go into despair as if there's no point to anything at all. Rather, he moves forward in faith, recognizing that in the midst of a mysterious puzzling world, God is still good and he gives good gifts and he calls us to live uh, according to his word. So I take, I think he's right in this, that, that Hevel is not a completely pessimistic idea of empty or meaningless, but that it's communicating the idea of this is it's a puzzle that we really can't fully figure out because we're finite, right? We're finite, but God is infinite. And so we can't perfectly figure this out. And so I think that's what he's doing with Hevel. And that's important to think about as we walk through the rest of the book. And then we come to verse 3, which I think also is incredibly important for understanding what he's doing in the whole book. He says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And so if we can think of Hevel as like the key theme word in Ecclesiastes, verse 3 is really the the programmatic question of the whole book. What does man profit or what what does man gain through all of his work and labor under the sun? And another key word shows up in this verse that is repeated many, many times in Ecclesiastes, and it's this word yitron. It's the word that's translated gain or profit or advantage. What is he doing with this word? Well, the root of this, like the verbal root of this word, yitron, comes from a word that means to to glean a profit or a gain. And it's usually used in like commercial enterprise or business in which you invest money or you make a product and you, you sell it and you get a profit, right? You have the idea is that which is left over that which you can have that's left over for yourself, the profit or the gain from it. But it's clear in Ecclesiastes that he's not using it in that sense of a material or financial way. He's meaning something more with it than that. In fact, this word yitron, the exact form of it, is only found in Ecclesiastes. So he takes from this verbal idea of profit or gain, and it's almost like he invents his own word off of that that root idea. So it's kind of a a term that's coined by Kohelet, the writer of Ecclesiastes. And in in the book, it clearly does not have a material or a financial meaning because there are many, many times where he says, what about this person who has amassed all this wealth, but then he just passes it on to the next generation? And he asks the question, so what's the gain? What's the profit in this? He's clearly not thinking of financial gain or material gain. And the other thing that is seen throughout Ecclesiastes is that whatever this yitron, profit gain is, whatever it is, it cannot be found under the sun. So that means it's not something material. It's not something financial. It's not something you you can put your fingers on because it's not something that can be found in this world under the sun in what this world provides. So it has to mean something more. 
Again, Graham Ogden says this, if it is not equated with some worldly measurable benefit, then it probably belongs to a somewhat different order. Kohelet is at least pointing in the direction of a yitron, a profit or a gain, which transcends the present earthly experience under the sun. There's something more out there. And so the term yitron, gain or profit or advantage, has a metaphorical sense in Ecclesiastes. And it it speaks of that which is non-material. It might refer in part to an inner contentment which abides throughout an enigmatic life. And so I think that's one component of it. Where's the profit? Where's the gain? Where's the advantage in all of these things? Well, one aspect of it might be in our hearts, learning a contentment in God being sovereign over this world and in the good gifts that God sovereignly dispenses in this world. So a part of finding this profit or this gain is learning contentment in a world of mystery and, and puzzles. But it seems to go beyond that to incorporate the possibility of some experience beyond death. And I mentioned this last week that this phrase, under the sun, that's the way he's evaluating and observing and making comments on life throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. That's kind of his, his vantage point, his perspective. And really, if you think about it, that's, that's the perspective that a human being can have, right? Is he's observing life, he's, making, uh, he's noticing how things work in the world, and sometimes they don't work the way that we think they should work. Sometimes things are upside down. Sometimes things are puzzling, enigmatic. Uh, and he looks at that and he says, so where then under the sun is there to be found ultimate profit or gain or advantage in any of these things? And I think along the way, he's hinting, pointing at the fact that the ultimate profit gain cannot be found under the sun but can only be found in the next life, in the next world, with God in eternity. So if I had to kind of sum up what verses 2 and 3 are saying, it would be something like this. The true profit that the wise man may receive and that will one day make sense of all of life's puzzles is not to be found in this life under the sun. It is to be found in eternity. Chapter 3, verse 11, I note there because that's a a famous saying from Ecclesiastes in which the writer says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men, in the hearts of people. So there is clearly within Ecclesiastes, a he's looking at this world under the sun, but in all of his thinking, and musing and tossing things back and forth and looking at the enigmas and the puzzles of this world, he always, I think, has in the back of his mind and pointing to there's something more than just what's under the sun. There's something beyond what we can see. There's something beyond what we can understand in this life. So, 
how do we how do we think about that then? Obviously, there's a lot more that we're going to walk through in Ecclesiastes, but but even here, just stopping at this point tonight, think about the fact that just think about different things that you've seen, that you've experienced in your life, that can fit along with what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is confusing or puzzling, or it's upside down. It doesn't make sense. So according to the wisdom of Proverbs, or even according to like the, the covenant in Deuteronomy, the word of God says that those who follow his commands, those who obey his word, they'll live long in the land and prosper, right? That's the theology of Deuteronomy. That's the theology of Proverbs. It is those who do what is right, those who do what is good, they they live long in the land and God blesses them. But the writer of Ecclesiastes is looking at life through situations where it seems the exact opposite of that. Where, Where the wicked are prospering, but the righteous are not. And it seems like their lives are hard. Um, We've seen that, haven't we? I mean, we've seen that maybe in our own lives. We've seen it in the lives of other people around us where it seems like they're doing everything right and they're living according to God's will. But man, one tragedy after another befalls them. Difficulty after difficulty. And it kind of makes you wonder along with the writer of Ecclesiastes, what's going on here? This seems upside down. How does this work? And so we've seen confusing things, mysterious things happen in our lives and the lives of people that we care about around us that don't, that don't make sense. And so because of that, we then, we have to trust, don't we? We have to trust the providence of God, the sovereignty of God that moves and works in his world in a way that is not formulaic right? So, you know, you have a math formula, uh, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, and you have a right triangle, and it's, that's always going to be the way it is every single time. It's, it's a formula, and it never fails, right? It's like a law. Well, God's world and the way that God moves in the world doesn't operate like that, like a formula. Job's friends thought it did, you know, simple formula, calamity, disaster, Job, you must have sinned. But the book of Job is teaching us, again, Job is a wisdom book, isn't it? Like Ecclesiastes. It's a wisdom book that is teaching us that life is more complex than that. And God is more complex than that. And so there are things that are hard to understand. And I know there are times in our lives when we wonder, what's, what's the purpose you know, what am I aiming at? What's the goal? What's the profit that I'm shooting for? And if, if the profit that we're shooting for is money, then Ecclesiastes is going to say, you're on the wrong quest. Because you're really not going to find this profit in money. If, if you're looking for profit in uh, worldly pleasures, in fame or in career or or whatever, if you're looking for profit in all of these places, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to say you're ultimately going to be disappointed. 
because the ultimate profit, the ultimate goal for which we are seeking is really not something that can be found under the sun. It's something that is beyond that. And Paul tells us that, doesn't he, in Philippians. He says, I press toward the mark, toward the goal for the high prize of God in Christ Jesus. What is that prize? It's not an earthly prize, is it? It's not an earthly profit. It is a, it's a heavenly one. And there's not a lot about life after death and eternal life in the Old Testament. But Ecclesiastes is pointing us in that direction. That there is something more than just what's under the sun. There's something that God is offering to His people that fear Him and walk in His ways and believe Him after death in this life. And so there is profit to be found, but it may not be found under the sun in the ways that we normally look for it. So life is confusing, but that doesn't mean that we give up hope because God is still with us and He still blesses us with good gifts. And profit in this world is elusive, but that doesn't mean that there is no profit to be found because there is. It's just in God and perhaps beyond what this life can offer. And so Ecclesiastes is going to help us walk that journey of wisdom. And I hope that it's, it's helpful to you. And uh, I hope that what we did tonight, going back and kind of looking at these verses again, uh, is helpful in us walking forward in Ecclesiastes. Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided us with your wisdom. You have given us a perfect storehouse of truth and wisdom in the scriptures, in your word. We thank you for Ecclesiastes. It is a book that oftentimes, like life, is enigmatic and at times hard to understand. But Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding to, uh, to bring out the, the root lessons, the, the big ideas that the writer of Ecclesiastes is teaching us. And Lord, may we apply these things to our lives and, and may we search for you, Father, and search for your wisdom with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.